What's up, everyone? It's your host, Jonah. Welcome to the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show, where we learn new things every episode through conversations with guests from around the world. And if you're new, make sure to hit that sub button so you can make sure to keep up with the journey. Today, we welcome John Bukowski, a fiction writer who is a former veterinarian. Let me make sure I can get this right. Epidemiology researcher and medical writer. Welcome, John. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. How you doing? Well, thank you, Jonah. Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, we're doing just fine over here. How was your New Year? Uh, pretty quiet. Just sitting around the house. Another day. Yeah, we went to a little get-together, but I think we got home right about midnight. So <laughs> we got the midnight kiss walking in the door. Right. <laughs> so tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, as you said, I'm a fiction writer, and a lot of fiction writers start off by taking uh, English classes, get an MFA, and become a writer. I took a lot of science classes and got a veterinary degree, and I practiced uh, veterinary medicine in uh, southeastern Michigan for about seven years, and got a little tired of all the life and death decisions, things about euthanasia and things like that, and decided well, maybe I want to do some research and decided to become a disease detective. Uh, so I pursued a master's and then a PhD in epidemiology, which is disease detective work. And uh, did research in that for about 20 years and working in industry and government. And over that time, I learned something kind of important that as time went on, I was researching less and writing more. I enjoyed the writing and my employers liked my writing. So when I got tired of the corporate grind, I was working for a big oil company at the time, uh, I decided to go become freelance medical writer, writing journal articles and, and uh, website content, those kind of things. And I did that up until the Great Recession hit uh, and work became scarce, but I had the gift of time. And like most technical writers, or most any writer, I wanted to write the great American novel. And so I took a few months, about six months, and I wrote one. And it's still on my computer, gathering dust, what Stephen King would call a trunk novel, or in this case, computer novel. And, uh, but it got me hooked. And I over time, I phased out the medical writing and phased in more and more fiction writing. I've got about eight short stories published. And this year, I got my first novel published early in 2022, I should say. And it was called Project Suicide. And I've uh, got another one coming up in a few months called Checkout Time. And that's where I am right now. Well, awesome. Well, well, congratulations on getting your book Thank published. You. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, you said you're a veterinarian. What was your yep. main, did you have a specialty within the field or were you just a general? No, I, I was a general small animal practitioner. Uh, I did that, like I said, for about seven years. Uh, part of that time, especially when I was going back to school to get my master's, uh, I was what they call a relief vet. I filled in for other people when they were on vacation. As you can imagine, veterinarians are like a one or two man practice, don't get a lot of time off. 
So they hire a relief veterinarian. And you come in and uh, make sure things run right and, and see the clients and uh, uh, worked on a lot of different practices doing that. Some real rural, uh, low income places and some more expensive places. And uh, interesting, it was an interesting time in my life. Did you get to travel a lot having that job? Only locally. I didn't travel like out of state much. Uh, maybe I traveled 20 miles or 30 miles uh, from where I was living at the time in, in, uh, in just outside Detroit. And I'm a Detroit boy by, <clears throat> by birth. And uh, yeah, so there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of travel per se. A lot of different practices, but just not a lot of distance. Did you get to see anything interesting while you were you were doing that? Yeah, I mean, one thing about veterinary medicine is you get a lot of great stories. And uh, one I remember was in a rural practice. Uh, and uh, a guy brought his dog in and it was limping. It had a swollen paw and some swelling in the face. And I said, well, uh, what happened? And he said, well, sir, I'm not sure, but I think it was them quails. And I said, quails? Yep. And I said, I don't understand. Was he attacked by quails? He goes, no, no, no. Quails. Porcupine quails. <laughs> and now I knew what it was. And at that point, it was, it was fairly easy to treat once I knew what it was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And you get, you know, you get, I did some emergency work and you get calls at one in the morning when you're barely awake uh, with people asking you questions like, uh, my dog took a bite of our Christmas ham. And I go, oh, is he sick? Well, no, but should I eat the ham? <laughs> yeah, cut the part out there. You see the teeth marks. Yeah, you know, and I said, that's what I said. I said, well, if you carve, I it's one in the morning. I'm, I'm. I said, could you carve out the part that was, and he goes, let me ask you this, doctor, would you eat it? And I thought to myself, she woke me up at one in the morning. If I tell her I wouldn't eat it, she'll throw it out. I said, nope, I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> My next question would have been, is it honey baked? Because <laughs> it's only good if it's honey baked. Um, uh, so rolling so you, you, into you, your, I get, I've been try I've been actually practicing this word, trying to get it right. The epidemiologic researcher. Yes. And that's something I, I, uh, I actually thank COVID for a lot of people now understand that means disease detected. Right. Usually when, usually when I tell people, they go, Oh, a skin doctor. I said, no, not epidermis or dermatologist, epidemiologist. Oh, you mean like a bug guy? No, that's entomologist. <laughs> epidemiologist, basically, it's the science of studying diseases, populations. You get uh, uh, a lot of statistics involved, that kind of thing. Uh, look at patterns of disease, uh, whether infectious disease or a chronic disease, which is mostly what I do environmental and occupational epidemiology. So did your work as a veterinarian, did it kind of help you 
transition into that line of work? Um, in, into epidemiology? Yes. Well, it did from, from the, the fact that uh, a lot of epidemiologists are more statisticians. They don't know disease. They know numbers. And I was fortunate and I came into it knowing diseases and how the body works. And that really helps give a balance to, if you're talking disease patterns, it's, uh, it helps you to figure out uh, what's normal, what's not normal, uh, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense when you're looking at, which something you can't necessarily know if you're looking strictly at statistics. And how long did it, how, how much schooling did it take to get into ep- epidemiology? Um, I, when I initially went back, it was a one-year master's program uh, at, at University of Michigan. And then when I was out on the East Coast working as an environmental epidemiologist, occupational epidemiologist, I uh, went back to school for a PhD at uh, Rutgers University, University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey in their, in their epidemiology program. And uh, that took about another five years. I was still working during the time. So it was a lot of nighttime classes and working on my dissertation on the side. And what are kind of some of the daily duties as an epidemiologist? Well, you read a lot of journal articles and you do research that involve, uh, uh, some cases survey research where you're, do, you're you're creating surveys to ask people questions about their health or about their their chemical exposures or something like that. Uh, there's a certain amount of statistics, running computer programs like SAS, uh, which I ran quite a bit, and uh, you do a lot of writing. You write a lot. You write journal articles. You write reports. Uh, you do a lot of analysis of articles. As a matter of fact, my last job, I did a tremendous amount of reviews of existing articles to see if they made sense or if, uh, if there's something wrong with their logic, that kind of stuff. What's one of your uh, most memorable things that you've researched? Well, when I was at, uh, <clears throat> I said, working for the oil company, they wanted to do a, a kind of a summary paper on the causes of childhood asthma. Because a lot of people uh, have a misconception about asthma uh, and a lot of allergic disease. They think that it's caused by primarily environmental exposures like chemicals uh, and things like that. As a matter of fact, most of it is things like animal dander and uh, pollen and various types of uh, molds and mildews and things like that. You inhale them and certain number of people get an allergic reaction down in their lungs and inflammation. And that's where the wheezing come from. Um, so you wanted to know, could, could we do this? Could we summarize all the literature on what causes childhood asthma? And I said, sure. And they said, and we want to try to estimate uh, what percentage is caused by each of these different exposures, which is a tougher nut. But I was able, with a little team I put together, we were able to come up with some pretty good ranges. And 
they were quite they were quite pleased. We ended up publishing that, and we spent a lot of money on it because uh, they said we want it fast, and that means I'm going to bill a lot of my time because even in industry you're still billing your hours, you know, to uh, to whoever's reporting it. Same in government, you bill your hours and they uh, they tally them up at the end of the month. And so uh, went, went through a lot of hours, but we came up with a good product. How much money gets pumped into those sort of programs? Um, it's actually not a lot. For example, when I was working with ExxonMobil, which is uh, an oil company I was talking about, they have a biomedical sciences unit. And it's got about, at the time I was working, there were about 100 people. There were toxicologists and uh, epidemiologists and industrial hygienists and ergonomic people, people who look at human factors, uh, injuries, things like that. And our entire budget was almost a rounding error for ExxonMobil. <laughs> you know, I forget what the millions it was, but it was like it didn't even show up on the bottom line. Wow. They could have removed us and no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, in, in, in an industry like that, uh, we were, we were uh, a, a small cog, as you would expect most of their money goes to getting oil out of the ground and turning it into things. Have you ever had anything you were researching that just turned out to be a dud? Well, there, I mean, there are no duds. There's positive and negative result or positive results. Uh, you find something and a negative result tells you something. Okay. This wasn't it. You know, if you look at an exposure and someone says, we think it causes, let's just say liver cancer. Um, and you do a study like with a worker population or whatever, and the incidence of liver cancer is about the same as it is in the rest of the population. You say, well, we know that now. We know this thing doesn't cause that. So there's never just really kind of a, oh, man, that, that's kind of a dead end going that way sort of thing. Eh, you, you could say that, but actually it's, like I said, it's, it's all information. Right. And it all gets put out in the literature, at least should. Sometimes uh, people don't publish things that they don't find. Uh, and that's a danger in that kind of research, because it's, it's not experimental research. Like when you go into a laboratory mm -hmm. or you go into a clinical trial and you say, uh, randomly going to assign this person gets a pill, this person gets a placebo, that kind of thing. That's an actual experiment. Observational research, what epidemiology is, is just kind of seeing how the disease patterns develop in the population. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's lots of pitfalls potential biases that can enter in. And if you're not careful, you can find results that aren't real. And if you have a vested interest in a result, say you've, uh, you've got a research grant and you said, we're going to show this causes that, you might tweak the data a little bit to see if you can find that this causes that. I, and I can see that's, where... a pro that's a problem that most people, especially most clinical people, people who deal with clinical medicine, mm -hmm. uh, don't appreciate. I could see that where that could have some uh, conflict of interest. <laughs> um, 
And it's not always, uh, the, the tweaking and stuff is not always done maliciously, but when you want to see something, a lot of times there's just an old saying, uh, data are like uh, uh, a person being tortured. You torture them long enough, they're going to tell you whatever you want. Yep. And if you keep playing with the data, I didn't like this result. Maybe I got to get rid of this group of people out of the population. Uh, no. Oh, how about this? Oh, we're seeing something. You know, you can do that. But what does the result mean? That's true. You you manipulated the data to match what you want rather than the other way around. I could see where that's a major problem. Yep. Um, and that you said you did a lot more writing than anything else within that field. Yeah. The uh, like I said, over time, uh, you know, you're you're looking at research and then you're writing up reports on it. And it was the same with this child with asthma study. My employer started to see this guy knows how to write. He can organize stuff so it makes sense, so that people can understand it, so that lay people, non-scientists can understand it. And as I transitioned into medical writing, that was a real help because now you're writing stuff. Not Sometimes you're writing journal articles and stuff, but a lot of times you're writing things like website content or consumer handbooks, or I wrote radio scripts about animal diseases. And uh, you got to be able to communicate technical material to the general public without having them just kind of go, you know, their eyes roll up and they fall asleep. Right. Uh, you, you can't be confusing. You have to get the main points out in an interesting way. And that is also kind of what you do with fiction writing. Yeah, which rolls us into this. Uh, how long did you, how long were you a medical writer for? Um, I'm from about 2004 till about 2015. So maybe 10, 11 years. And when did you start? And your... during that time, I was also doing some fiction writing on the side. Okay, that was my next question. When did you yeah, start? Yeah, I wasn't doing it full time, but when I had time, when my, when my other projects or whatever, I would uh, write a short story or work on a novel. I didn't come really serious. I did my first novel around 2010 when I had a break, but I didn't really become serious with the novel writing until about 2014. And you're pretty passionate about uh, reading yourself, aren't you? Yeah, that's one thing. People always say, you know, I want to be a writer. What should I do? Well, first thing you got to do is read a lot. Yeah. And preferably read read things in the genre you're interested in writing about. If you like mysteries, you want to write mysteries, read mysteries. You know, you learn a lot from many different genres. You learn about writing and the craft. Uh, my my big influences in my writing are Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, that fantastic uh, writer, really changed American writing in a fundamental way. Uh, Elmore Leonard fantastic Western writer and hard-boiled crime writer from my hometown of Detroit, writes dialogue better than anybody, or used to. He passed away a few years ago. And uh, Stephen King, the master of the character, building characters, making you love them so that when he messes with them, you feel it. Yeah. 
He has a and, he has a special way of pulling you into the story. That's for sure. Yep. Um, yeah. And and that's that's the thing. You got to you want to be a writer. The main thing is you got to do is you want to write a lot and read a lot. Yeah. So do you have a book that you can just go back to and read over and over again? Yeah, I've done that with several books. Earlier in my life, I read uh, the Tolkien books multiple times. And there's several Stephen King books I've read multiple times. Uh, I'll go back to his short stories or novellas uh, periodically just for the entertainment. I read, for example, I read Christine, the book, about 20 years ago. And I just got a paperback copy. I was going to read it again. I haven't read it in a while. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Project Suicide? I know you probably don't want to give too much of it away. Well, I won't give too much of it away, but Project Suicide is this tale of how a cure for Alzheimer's disease gets perverted into a uh, assassination drug. Now, high-profile politicians are killing themselves, and only a drunken genius can save the country. There's a two-sentence description. Uh, it's a techno-thriller. If anybody out there knows people like Michael Crichton and Robin Cook, uh, physician writers who were, you know, big fiction writers, Jurassic Park, that kind of stuff. So it's got a little technical material in it, but that shouldn't scare people off because there's just enough technical material to get you hooked, to make you believe the lie. And people, when I say that, they kind of roll their eyes and they go, what do you mean, believe the lie? Well, that's what fiction is. You're telling a story. You're making stuff up. Yeah. And like a good con man, you got to make it believable. If they, if they, if you tell them something, they go, wait a minute, that's not, I'm not buying that. You lost them. But if you feed them a little bit of reality, just enough to them say, yeah, I, I've heard of that. Well, then you got them. They're hooked and you they're going to believe everything else. You get them to suspend their disbelief, as they say, in the theater. <laughs> um, so how hard is it to sit down and come up with every situation and every which way that you can word a sentence and coming up with the perfect way to put it out there? Well, if you if you try to do that, Every sentence is gold, and you're probably going to be writing the same paragraph for months. <laughs> what you do is you just write. There's an old saying that says, write when you're drunk, edit when you're sober. So you write, and you try to write entertaining sentences and things like that, but it's not the first time, you're, the last time you're going to visit this. People have this vision of a writer going off to a mountain cabin for three months, writing a book and sending it off to a publisher. That's not how it works. You work on it for three, six, eight months, complete a first draft, then you let it sit. Give yourself two, three, four weeks, do other stuff, work on short stories, work on another novel, and let give it time for your, for your mind to see it with new eyes. Then you pick it up and you go through it again, all 90, thousand words or whatever it was. And now you revise. You say, I, that sentence, people might misconstrue that sentence. I got to change it. 
this sentence could be uh, better. This character, I need a little something here to bring out their character trait or whatever. And once you've done that, well, then it's time for other people to start to see it. And so maybe you have friends or other people, call, you call them beta readers. Uh, you send it off to two or three and say, what do you think? They give you feedback. You weigh it. Uh, if it's great, you know, it says you're wonderful, then you, you accept it. If it says you're terrible, you ignore it. No, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You get feedback and you, you try to evaluate it and you do another revision. And then you let it sit for a while. And then you do another revision. And now you've got it to the point where maybe you think uh, a publisher or editor should see it. But that's still not the last time you're going to go through it. Because they're going to get it and they're going to read it and give you editorial feedback. And people never underestimate the importance of an editor, a professional editor. People say, well, I'm a pretty good writer. I can edit my stuff. You can't see it the way the public sees it. A professional editor is trained to do that and pick up things, say, wait a minute, this is a plot hole. This doesn't feed back with 37 pages ago, or this character is not believable doing this, or people won't understand this. You should take it out. Or many times, these whole two paragraphs, they're unnecessary. They slow things down. And you take that feedback. Then you revise again. And that's the, the process I'm finishing up now with my new book, Checkout Time. Then it goes back to the, uh, the, the publisher and the editor. And they look at your corrections. And they say, <clears throat> okay, that's pretty good. Uh, we think this, this, and this. And you go through it again. So I think we're on our fourth go through, third or fourth, with because uh, uh, we just got it. No phrases typeset, a checkout time. And now it's, uh, I don't think they call it that anymore because it's electronic. But uh, it's, it's put into the form that you'd see it on a page if you bought a book. And so I'm, tomorrow I'm going to start reading through that and looking for typos and other things like that. And uh, then before it all goes to the print, we get a final uh, look at the proofs, look at, uh, go through it again. That's about four times on my own and about four times with the publisher. So that's, uh, that's more the process. The whole thing from when you start writing until it's done is about two years. How hard is it to deal with a big publisher and editor and things like that? Well, I'm dealing with a small press. There's only a few large presses left. There used to be a dozen or more. Uh, but now there's just a few. They've, like everything else, they've consolidated. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, you should try to find a publisher that you're simpatical with, you know, that uh, speaks your language, uh, an editor that you trust, because if an editor comes back with stuff that you know in your gut doesn't make sense, it's probably time to get a new editor. Uh, at the same time, you, have, you can't have a thin skin. You have to accept criticism and recognize that the editor is making it better. And so it wasn't really difficult for me with uh, Pathfinder Press, a good group. And uh, so uh, so it's been a good uh, experience with them so far. And have you thought about maybe going into short stories on a consistent basis? 
Um, I write short stories periodically. Uh, I probably pen about two or three a year. I've gotten about eight of them published. And I've got another five or six that are out with with several possible uh, journals right now. And they're they're good experience. Uh, There's not a lot of market for them these days. Uh, some anthologies, uh, you know, collections, and I may put short stories, the ones that I get published and others that I haven't gotten published into an anthology at some point. Um, but they don't, it's, it's not like novel writing. It's a different kind of writing. It's much shorter, much uh, uh, crisper. It's more like a sprint, whereas a novel is a marathon. Right. Do you miss medical writing at all? Um... Not really. <laughs> the uh, uh, I do miss some of it, some of the writing for consumers, uh, putting together, uh, like when I did my radio scripts, that was kind of fun. And, uh, but I'm still, I'm, I mean, I'm still writing. It's, uh, and when you write a, when you write a technical, uh, a techno thriller, for example, uh, you're still doing some research yeah. and turning that into, something on the page, but now it's fun because you can, it, it doesn't all have to be accurate. I think I put in my beginning of Project Suicide, you know, this is a work of fiction, blah, blah, blah. Anybody who's, you know, thinks they're, it, it's, it's uh, purely coincidental if you think this is you, whatever like that. And then I put, you know, there's a certain amount of technical material here. Some of it is real and some of it is fictional. You decide. So what spoke to you most about going into the thriller genre? That's kind of what I like to read. Even if you think of Stephen King, most of his stuff is really thrillers, largely. A lot of our horror thrillers. Uh, Elmore Leonard also writes thrillers and crime uh, stuff. Uh, like, like action thriller movies. Uh, I've got a big movie collection. And if you look behind me, you see some projects some Project Suicide over here up on the shelf, and you also see a bunch of videos, and that's about a, yeah, about a sixth of my video collection. Oh, wow. They're all over the room. And uh, and so, yeah, that's the kind of movie I like to watch, and it's kind of the book I like to read. So like I said, you tend to write... Uh, uh, I'll write other stuff as well, and uh, but that's kind of my, my bread and butter is thriller. Awesome. Uh... Uh, what's the future of your writing look like? I know you said you had, uh, was it Chasing Time? Is that right? Checkout, Checkout Time. Checkout Time is a story about a uh, arsonist bomber who's looking to extort money from hotel chains by planning bombs, pay me my money, or I'll blow up a, a hotel, burn it. And uh, the very first bombing that he does is a demonstration is on the same floor where a handsome government researcher and a beautiful FBI agent are staying. Huh. So they become embroiled in the search for this guy who goes by the mysterious name Conrad Hilton uh, after the hotel mogul. And uh, they become embroiled in the search for him. And over time, the mouse turns around and starts chasing them. So, uh, it's kind of a back and forth. Uh, who's who's going to get who first? 
That's interesting. You don't you don't want a you don't want a bomber to take an interest in you. No, you don't. You never know what what's going to be coming around your way. Right. <laughs> so what's the been what's been the most enlightening moment of your journey through all of this? Just the realization that, and this is for any writer out there, people want to be a writer. And there's lots of different, I always categorize writers as, there's the first group of people who say, I want to be a writer, and they never write. Then there's people who say, I want to be a writer, I want to be a novelist, and they start novels. And it's easiest to start a novel. You get an idea, and that first three, four, five thousand words comes out really good. And then you go, okay, what now? And so for me, the big realization is it's like anything in my, in my schooling or technical career. It's a process. And over time, if you keep plugging at it, you can do it. It's, it's daunting task, but you, you don't do it as I'm going to write 90,000 words tomorrow. I'm going to write 1,000 words tomorrow or 800 words. And then I'm going to write another 800 words the next day. And... You try to do this every day, you know, seven days a week, five days a week, whatever. Uh, I tend to take weekends off more. But uh, you try to do it every day. And over time, you've got a draft. And so for me, that was the, it was like doing my PhD. It's a bunch of little tasks you put together to make a big one. You don't do it all the next day. And you treat it the way an alcoholic treats it, one day at a time. Right. See, I would figure you would have said, damn, I went to school for a really long time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I thought uh, I made a good living out of that right. and comfortable here in my Tennessee mountain home and uh, also enjoyed it. I've always been a very technical science guy, kind of geeky in school, got, you know, Grade point average in high school at Devil Cell Collegiate of uh, 4.2. And you figure, how do you get more than four? Well, you get extra credit for certain things and things like that. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I was always a, a science guy. And so it was natural to do the kind of things, uh, medicine and, uh, and public health work, epidemiology that I did. But I also was a writer. I loved my English classes, too. I used to love writing uh uh, in high, high school and college, you know, for English classes, writing papers, writing stories or whatever. And so I just basically circled full round and I'm come back to that. Well, awesome, John. Uh, well, I'd like to bring you on later on when, uh, your new book comes out, see how it's doing. Sure, uh, and by the way, if people want to get project suicide, easiest way is go to Amazon or just enter in your browser, projectsuicidenovel.com, all one word. And uh, takes you right to the Amazon page, paperback, hardcover, and uh, Kindle. Kindle's very reasonable. I think it's a few dollars. And uh, hope everybody enjoys it. And if you do read it, the best thing you can do for a writer, if you like the work, or even if you didn't, but especially if you like the work, is review it. Right. Amazon, do an Amazon review. It's easy to do. It takes a few minutes. Give it a star, uh, star rating, four or five stars, hopefully. 
and a little review. And because uh, Amazon uses that information to gauge how they're going to pre present your book to the public. If you've got a lot of reviews and they're good ones, they're going to put you in their lists of, of uh, books that people should buy, that kind of stuff. It's that, it's that pesky algorithm. Yeah. And <laughs> also, that's how people judge whether they want to read a book. Yep. You know, they're looking at reviews and they go, oh, I'd like to read this. So read it, like it, write a review. Yeah. And I'll make sure to put the link. I'll, I'll put all the links down in the description. Great. And, uh, is there is there any other place people can find you social media yeah i have i have a author website well i'm on facebook you can find me on facebook you search for john bukowski i have an author uh, page on facebook and uh, i have an author's website which is trillerjohnb.net and i put some short stories on there i have some teaser stuff about my novels uh my own little bio, some blog pages, and uh, you can also connect to my uh, uh, email list if you want to follow along with that. So, yeah, I was that's on their website. I was on their snooping the other day. Good. It, it's a pretty good website. It's thank you, thank you. Had a, it actually was designed by a gentleman who is really good, a web designer from Norway. I gotta, I gotta uh, spice up mine. Mine's a little plain Jane. I need to get a little more pop to it. <laughs> well, on on checkout time, we just got kind of excitement. We got a cover approved, and I can't tell you what it is now, but we're gonna have a cover reveal pretty soon, and it's pretty snappy. Awesome. Project Suicide's cover is also pretty good. Yeah, let everybody see it. There it is. Make sure to go check out that book, everybody. Well, I appreciate you coming on, John. And uh, like I said, always welcome to come back on. And uh, yeah. I appreciate it, Jonah. And certainly I'd love to come back, chat about checkout time, a little bit more about my other writing. Yeah, a little bit more about uh, all those other trades that you've done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all interesting in their own way, even epidemiology. Right. All right, man. That's all the time we have for today. Head over and check out our website, thebceshow.com, where you can subscribe to the email list and contact us. But remember to leave us a rate and review. Helps a podcast with that pesky algorithm. Thanks for listening, y'all.